the science behind what marketers do and the technology we use and um, the data we work to, uh, you know, it's very, it's far more technical and scientific than I think sometimes the perception is. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. All right, another episode of our talent show, the second series. This series is all about the different departments and career paths that you can meet encounters and experience here at the Financial Times, London, New York, Manila, Sofia, so many different offices around the globe. And of course, as always, we are in the Bracken House in London, one Friday street. And today I have an amazing guest. He is the Managing Director of the Consumer Revenue Group here at the Financial Times, Fiona Spooner. How are you, Fiona? I'm great, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> thank you, Fiona. I'd really love to um, know more about what do you do as a Managing Director for a Consumer Revenue Group? So many words. So would you like to walk us through your career path? And did you get that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm Managing Director of the Consumer Revenue Group. What that means is that I oversee all of the um, consumer revenue generating uh, work that we do. So that's mostly subscriptions from individuals. And part of what we do, so we've got um, four pillars that we work to in, in our group. One is very focused on the customer and all um, customer insights, really understanding the needs of customers. And uh, we've got a customer care team on the front line talking to customers every day answering their queries, responding to their um, needs all around their digital and print subscriptions and sharing that insight back into the team. We've got um, a pillar around uh, bringing in new customers. So it's our role to bring in new audiences to the FT, not just new audiences, the right audiences, make sure that we're bringing in the right audiences for the business. Uh, we work on engagement and retention and making sure that we keep those customers, build good experiences for them. And then um, the, the part that you work on and particularly is business development. How do we add value to the business? How do we add value to the customers and, um, and bring those, those audiences to life and, and share you know, experiences across the business, be that with FT Live and events or FT Professional um, yeah, and, and other, other opportunities like FT Talent. Um, so, as you said, I've been working in marketing roles throughout that. I started in marketing, uh, working on events, mm -hmm. and I've pretty much worked in every marketing role around the business from events to brand to B2B specialist, um, print subscriptions, and then uh, later on digital subscriptions. And that's where I've spent the last few years. I've had the privilege of working on our access model and all of the evolution of that um, and acquisition and retention and, uh, yeah, kind of worked, worked through all of those different roles. Yeah. And that's a lot what's kept me here. What does it mean to do a B2C-driven marketing for a newspaper today? So, you know, we talk about quality journalism and uh, quality journalism costs money. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have a role to make sure that we're driving the revenue to support to support um, support that and so for me and my team it's bringing in individual readers being able to 
um, showcase FT journalism to, to wider audiences. You know, we work with you a lot on how do we engage younger audiences. That's a really important part of what we do in the consumer revenue team is engaging with uh, other audiences for two reasons, really. One, because it's important for the for the growth of the business, but also very much because it's important for more and more people to have access to to good journalism and you know we've got a responsibility to a democratic society that more and more people can make this the the revenue side of it is where it's a balance because we have to make sure that um uh you know we we uh provide that access in in formats and and places that people can read or listen or watch it but also while making sure that we are generating the revenue and growing the business so we can reinvest it, so we can build it, so we can invest in our journalism, so we can invest in our teams. We have, you know, some of the best people in the industry working on this and then that's what we need to be making sure that we can we can fund. So, you know, we bring in individual subscribers and uh, and grow our audiences um, and on a one-to-one on -one basis and I think that's where the customer insight piece as well is really important on that individual uh, reader you know how do we listen to our customers we evolve the business by making sure that we're um, understanding what they're reading what they want from us uh, the formats that they want to read us in uh, and making sure that we evolve the business and evolve the way that we're talking to them in a way that they it suits their individual needs not their not their corporate business needs as much would you mind explaining this? What does it mean? What's the big difference about being a personalized driven business and FT, a customized one? For me, it's, you know, we talk about data a lot. It's been core to everything we do and really understanding what people are, are doing and, and responding to that is, is key to what we do. And especially for a marketer, um, uh, so I would say we're data informed, not data led. So we always need that human element and aspect to it and to, to, to make the right decisions. Um, and the customization piece instead of personalization, you know, and there's a lot of talk about um, AI and machine learning. And we, and we use this in what we do. But the the unique value of the FT and the way reason people come to us is because they want to know what the FT thinks and what our journalists um uh, you know, our, our views are. So if you over-personalise things, then some of that gets missed. So I think it's that customization to understand people's needs and respond to it, make sure the right content's in front of them, but not over-personalising it, that it loses some of the unique value that we bring. You have launched with your team a very interesting product that we have been promoting all the time. So guys, if you haven't, look in the show notes, FT Edit. Would you love, uh, would you like to tell us a bit more of what's behind FT Edit and what is, uh, what is the role of uh, a product like this new app for acquisition? Generally. Yeah, so this is a really exciting development we have. We launched the FT Edit. It's its birthday today, actually. Um, so, and we've got some really exciting influencer activity yeah. happening today. Tim Spector's just gone live this morning. Um, check it out. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and that was really in a response to the feedback we were getting. You know, we've got this core audience who read the FT every day, and we've got, you know, the subscriptions and uh, expensive um, uh, packages. But our, on our drive to make more journalism accessible and respond to that um, feedback that people want to be able to consume um, more uh, like 
um, snippets of the news or be able to not be overwhelmed um, to read something uh, front to back some days and, and feel like they're uh, learning something new, reading something they didn't w- realise they wanted to know, but be informed and, you know, for curious, ambitious people. Then the edit is a new app that is eight articles a day um, curated by our editorial team about the things that you might not have known that you want uh, that, that are going on and, and the important things to know about. And it's um, it's really an introductory uh, way of accessing FT content that's not, you know, a core full-priced, um, everything you need to know about the world subscription. So, you know, we want to bring more people in and be, and make that content more accessible. And that's part of it. You said before, marketer, like being a marketer. What, can we explain it to, to our listeners? What, very in general, what does it mean to be a marketer? That's a good question. And someone said to me recently, actually, you know, you're, not, you're a managing director, you're not a marketer anymore. And I was like, oh, hang on. And I thought, no, I'll always be a marketer. <laughs> and actually... That's, um, you know, that's that's part of my DNA, really. That's what I've always loved to do. Uh, so to me, what is it to be a marketer? You know, it's very much about curiosity, understanding human behavior, um, uh, you know, being able to understand what people need and want, look at how they behave and see how we can influence it in a positive way um, to to respond to, to their needs and to, you know, uh add that creativity piece in there um i think it's uh it, you know to me it's a it's a job that i've always loved to do and i will always be a marketer <laughs> no matter what i do i think yeah so when you were younger you wanted to work in marketing was oh, your no. first okay <laughs> what you wanted to do when you were young uh well i don't know if i knew what i wanted to do i knew what i didn't want to do So um, that helped. I didn't want to be a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor or a banker, which is what kind of, you know, the only jobs that we were told about when I was growing up. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something with people. I studied social policy actually at university. So I it was a mixture of sociology and politics. Um, so depending on what day you met me, I would either want to be a social worker or... Uh, the next female prime minister. Um, <laughs> hey, you are the first female managing director at yeah. FT, so not so bad. So, um, but yeah, I think then in hindsight, this, you know, I was always passionate about uh, the, you know, how policy and um, decisions made at government level impact uh, people's lives and the social and economic fallout from some of those things. Um, I wrote my dissertation on uh, transracial adoption, for example, you know, looking at the policies and the social impact around things like that has always been uh, really interesting to me. So now I look back and I think, oh, working at the FT, um, it's, it's not too far a step away in, in uh, you know, using some of that uh, interest yeah. in, in my day to day job. But, yeah, I kind of fell into marketing and I'm... Uh, one of those lucky people that fell into the right job for them. Do you think in your role, do, um, do you see that journalism still has a political role for society at large? And especially, like, I'm asking you this question and I'm not asking a journalist because we always, and we repeat this, um, that in news companies or media enterprises you have this state-church balance That's a, um, a wall that we need to keep, but also we need to make it a bit more flexible around uh, what the newsroom is doing and what all the other departments are doing to make 
the newsroom job better and more relevant. What what is your take on that? Based on uh, you know your your past or I guess a present passion also for politics? Oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, like journalism has a, has a huge role in making sure that people are informed and um, and, the, and the facts and, uh, you know, shared and, and stated and holding power to account and, you know, making sure that somebody is watching <laughs> and reporting on the way businesses are run, politicians behave. Um, that's all... Uh, you know, a huge responsibility. I think that commercial um, editorial relationship is is really important. That church-state divide is, you know, one to be absolutely respected. But I think where we have at the FT is, uh, you know, an understanding of both teams and that mutual respect for our roles. Um, you know, we would never, ever influence what, what our journalists write, never in a million years. Um, but do, do we share, uh, you know, who our audience is and, and the data behind what people are engaging with and all those insights and talk about it? Absolutely. I think that's, that's what's key is that shared understanding and shared visibility of that data. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an important role they have. I just wanted to ask you um, if you had any... Um career tips out of any difficult time you might have had in this in this journey to md role yeah um so yeah there's been uh, a lot of challenges along yeah. the way yeah. i think um professionally some of the biggest challenges were through covid and leading teams in a in a really you know what we call turbulent times yeah. um but i think What I speak to most people about and what my passion is about uh, because of the diff most difficult times I've found in my career is returning to work after maternity leave. Okay. I think being a working parent, but, you know, really being a working mother is, is particularly hard. And coming back after maternity leave, I found really, really difficult. Can you elaborate a bit about that? My children are 10 and 6, so I came back to maternity, from maternity leave nine and um, five years ago. And the difference between both of those was huge, thankfully, because the world had moved on and the FT had moved on quite, um, quite a lot. But, you know, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and I was married and people would say to me, oh, when are you having children? When are you having children? And I would always say, oh, I don't want them. I don't want them because I, I felt like I couldn't admit to be thinking about it um and and then when I came back from maternity leave with my son um you know I came back in a time where I was around no women who who uh, who were working full-time here um all the things that everyone says happens happened you know I came back to a different job um I asked to work flexibly and and couldn't I felt bad about leaving at five o'clock I used to sneak out at five o'clock um hide my coat by the door never admit that I had a had a child people would make comments about well, you work part-time don't you but actually I worked one day at home um I was like I don't work part-time um and I think a moment for me that I look back on now is when one day someone said to me that I worked with really closely and I think my son was about 18 months at the time and said oh I didn't realize that um you have a baby And I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I took that as a real compliment. And I was like, I'm winning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And now when I think about that, that's awful. (laughs) So um, fortunately, by the time I had my second one um, and came back, yeah, you know, the world had changed and the FT particularly had changed and put in some really good, positive uh, steps to change that. And I I made a, a decision that I'm going to not do any of those things. So what they call leaving loudly, you know, at five o'clock, I would tell everyone good night and I'm going. And um, I felt real responsibility, especially to all the women in, in, in my team, that they could see that uh, to be open about having a family and be open about the challenges about working. Um, we'd put in a buddy system at that point. We had a whole return to work program. There was a lot more honesty and conversation happening. Um, and I think the tips are around networking and asking people for help and, and really talking about the challenges um, and, and asking how other people do it. And I think that's, you know, whether you have children or not, I think that's a really important thing to do. Any difficult things around getting a new job or um, having different experiences or being a new manager or... Uh, or other personal things that you're trying to deal with at the same time is asking for help and finding people in similar situations and, and speaking to them about it. What's your vision in the next two to three years? Where do you think our team is going to be focusing on? Um, looking at trends, looking at what's happening on the market and the status of the, I mean, the state of the art now for news. Really, we're focusing on growth. But what does that mean? And I think uh, for me... The aspiration is for our audience to be as big as our brand. I think, you know, we've we've done very well in growing the business, but really I, I also feel like we're just scratching the surface. Um, so two things we're working on that I think are really exciting. One is around things like the edit, um, you know, making our journalism more accessible. So what other formats can we do? What other... Um, opportunities are there to bring in younger audiences, different audiences. You know, we're very passionate about having more diverse audiences um, and things like our female reader engagement is, is, you know, at record levels at the moment. All of that is really important, I think, to be able to look back in a couple of years' time and see that those new audiences have grown and it's a more diverse audience and we've got a wider product portfolio to suit all of those individual needs is going to be really exciting. On the other side... The things that you and your team are working on is, you know, what else can we do for our customers? How can we grow that? How can we, um, you know, add value to this really uh, influential, curious, ambitious audience we have around the world? How can we serve their needs, but also, you know, provide more value to to the people around them? Um, and how can we experiment? So it's not just at the moment our consumer revenue group is very subscription revenue focused but you know how do we diversify those revenue streams and how do we um, change that portfolio into new uh, and experiment with new new ideas and new products what do you think is the most needed um, talent in your team at the moment I think it is to be cliche but I really do think it is that curiosity I think that um, you know ideas come from everywhere and I think for me if you care about people and how they behave and you care about, um, you're curious about uh, subscriptions, for example, or you're curious about um, the news and the media, then then you're going to come with ideas and enthusiasm mm-hmm. um, for change and different ways of working and that openness that comes with it, I think is really important. Um, if you had one piece of advice for our uh, younger listeners today in terms of 
they have a big passion for news, they might want to, to enter in the, in this uh, um, industry, not necessarily the Financial Times, uh, but they are they have a lot of um, you know activities, uh, passions, they are testing and so on. But what would you be your piece of advice in terms of um, what you should know about the news that is quite challenging? And you cannot really see it if you're not within the industry. What should you know about the news that you can't see? Yeah, this industry. What is like? What, what do you is do you do you think your younger self entering now at the Financial Times? What Fiona would have found difficult? And uh, oh, I wish I knew this before coming to the FT, so I could have prepared or you know read more about this and so on. What do you think is the most challenging? So I think probably it's that um, people maybe assume that this industry is uh, still print-based um, and and slow. And, you know, for us, people assume it's all about finance. Um, and it's, you know, it's none of those things. And I think, again, I came into the FT thinking that and I'd be here for about a year and then I realised, oh, actually, this is not this is a media company. It's exciting. It's changing all the time. Technology impacts it. Um, the, the news agenda impacts it. Um, so I think my to my younger self, I would say be open minded, um, be open to opportunities uh, you know, people talk about this ladder, career ladder. Yeah. I've never experienced that because there's, you know, I've never, I think once I got my boss's job in all the different jobs I've done and only once in all the jobs I've done did I move into a job that already existed. So I think being open-minded about um, what the next step and career move is because it is really, you know, a constantly evolving industry. So, um, so if you don't see your dream job in it, after a while, you know, that, that could very easily change quite quickly. So I think being curious and being open-minded and, and, um, and asking people about what they do is really important. So now our uh, time with our challengers. Please welcome to our podcast studio, Rachel and Aza. Rachel, from uh, uh, you, I met you in New York. Just walk us through why you're here, why you happened to me in London. I'm so happy to see you again. Right. Over to you. Yes. So I'm Rachel. I am a student at New York University. I'm a third year student. And this is my semester abroad here in London. I participated in the FT Challenge back in February 2021. And since then, I've been an ambassador and helped out um, with the New York City's first ever FT Challenge. And it's an honor to be here today. So my question for you, Fiona. Um, most of your career has been with the FT since 2003. And earlier in the podcast, you mentioned moving through different departments and ownership changes. I was wondering, throughout your time here, how have you been cognizant of the influences of the company's culture on your assumptions, your beliefs, your work styles? And now as a managing director, how do you lead your department, leverage culture? Um, yeah, I would love to hear about that. Yeah, well, thanks. It's great to meet you. Um, so I think I'm always cognizant of the way um, we make people feel and the impact that culture has on people's uh, being able to work to be their best selves. You know, if we if we can create the right culture for people and part of my job, I think, is an enabler to um, connect people and make them feel like they're empowered to make decisions to do their jobs properly, then that all leads into successful business <laughs> so it's all related um and i think being uh 
feeling like I can influence that culture from uh, not just, you know, in this role, from um, every role that I've done has been really important. And I think that's part of the reason why I think that, um, you know, everyone should be able to feel like they can be part of the culture and change it, um, influence it um, and call it out when, when, uh, you know, the behaviour and the values of, of teams or people aren't aren't um, suitable for for a, a culture like the FT. It's it's such a um, big reason why people work here, and I think it's something we have to proactively protect. Um, I think through COVID, we all learned about how important that was too, and you know I think we're uh, still learning now how we uh, maintain that culture, um, and we actually like prioritise it while we're still getting used to this more hybrid world. Thank you, Rachel. Aza, from... Yeah. Uh, I'm Aza. I'm a second-year economics student at King's College London, and I'm really happy to be here today. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, my question is about marketing. Obviously, you have a breadth of experience in that space, so I thought that would be the most appropriate. Um, it has two parts. The first part is, um, what do you think is that biggest misconception about marketing, especially in the publications industry. And the second part would be for students who are listening to us who might think marketing is something interesting for them, but they don't know how to start learning about it. And if they don't have classes, for example, at university for it, how do you think they should start learning about uh, marketing? Okay, thanks. Um, so I think the most frustrating misconception is around, uh, you know, marketing is just the pictures and the colours and the the creativity is all around advertising. Um, and although that's a big part of what we do, the science behind what marketers do and the technology we use and um, the data we work to, uh, you know, it's very, it's far more technical and scientific than I think sometimes the perception is. Also, in all the years I've worked in marketing, that still we have this conversation at, um, you know, how do you get... CMOs on the board or, uh, you know, uh, CMOs trying to, marketers having to justify their spend and, you know, continually fighting to educate um, people around the value of it. I think that's um, some of the misconceptions is, is that it's, you know, more just spending money on ads. Um, so we work very hard at that uh, to, to really educate people on on and what it really is. And that's a big part of actually a, a marketer's job is to make sure that people understand, uh, you know, we can translate the story. Um, the second part of the question was how do people... Students like who want to get involved in the space, but they don't have any idea how to get involved, I guess. Where should they start? So I think there's, you know, a lot of influences, a lot of people to follow and, and read and listen to in the space. I think people like Mark Ritson, um, people like Scott Galloway, uh, I think being, um, you know, signing up to, there's loads of courses, loads of books, loads of, um, of interesting people to be able to start to follow, um, to, to just learn a bit more um, is, is, a good, is a good entry point. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for joining us today. And of course, thank you, Fiona, for sharing all your insights and your expertise with us. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I wanted to remind you to our listeners a few things. Of course, check it out if through the license finder you got access from and thanks to your school and the Financial Times to an FT subscription. If not, check it out the FT Edit. We have been talking about it today. We have been talking about it in the past episodes. It's a great way to get a taste of the Financial Times. 
Times, so check it out and download it. It's free for a month. So also let us know what you think in your comments and uh, we cannot wait for the next episodes. Keep tuning in with FT Talent and The Talent Show and all the other amazing podcasts that we have at The Financial Times for free for you on your platforms. Thank you. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.